welcome to another episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast on our final episode in June. It's flipping to July. We are almost halfway through this year, and yet we're still not done with most of our sports seasons. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rodham. Thank you for asking. You know, uh, it's hard to believe that uh, that the summer is it's flying by and it's almost July 4th, but it's a wonderful time to be alive and to be thankful. It is, and you've got a lot of things to be thankful for. Last week, we stood, we sat here talking about how many fathers will not be experiencing a baseball game on Father's Day like they genuinely would, but a big July 4th tradition is also baseball, and lucky enough, there won't be baseball for that either. But at the end of the July, thank God, contrary to what we were telling you last week, the MLB owners have actually just approved a restart plan for the MLB. But it is a bit more or less of an ultimatum to the Players Association. It does mean that the sport will be back for a 60-game season starting at the end of July, followed by a regular 10-team playoff. Not only is this a little bit controversial because it's only 60 games, which for an equivalency for other sports, is the equivalency of about 30 NBA game season or a five-game NFL season. Not only that is that a problem for them, they're also being played significantly less because most of baseball's earnings come from ticket sales, which they still won't be experiencing. And even TV sales won't be that up. As we had described already, you know, baseball makes its money off people coming to the games, not really watching it on TV. So we'll have to see how that works out between the players and the league. But Frank, what do you think about this restart? Well, I think it's a little bit unexpected, uh, to be frank. I mean, we were sitting here last week uh, talking about the potential end of baseball, not just this season, but possibly, you know, forever or at least moving forward. Um, And then, you know, a little more than 24 hours after we talked about that, it was announced that the two sides struck a deal and that the season would actually be starting, um, like you said, at the end of July. Um, But I still think the underlying premise of what we were saying last week um, still holds true, at least to a certain extent. And that is that, yes, although baseball is coming back this season in a very uh, unique and modified format, I still think that baseball, the sport, and MLB, the league, have some legitimate issues and long-term and short-term concerns that they really need to address or, or at least consider addressing in a big way um, for baseball to really, you know, hold true moving forward. And like we were mentioning, the MLB has struggled to appeal to younger audiences for several years now. And even though the two sides were able to strike a deal, I mean, the commissioner of the sport, mom, the commissioner of the MLB, Rob, Manfred is still wildly unpopular. Um, at least that's the perception I get. Uh, it doesn't seem like baseball fans or casual sports spectators are really um, have a positive opinion of Rob Manfred, and it's not easy to see why. And it's easy to forget that earlier this year, we had the whole cheating scandal with the Houston Astros. And that seems like forever ago, but that was just a few months ago, and that put a giant blemish on the MLB and especially the way that Manfred handled that whole situation, even though the MLB is coming back, um, it's exciting in a way. I mean, you and I, we don't pretend to be diehard baseball fans, but I imagine if you are a passionate baseball fan, you're obviously excited that baseball is coming back and you'll be able to watch 60 games of playing as well as postseason. But at the end of the day, Yes, baseball is coming back, but I still think there's some issues um, moving forward that are concerning for the sport. Definitely. I 100% agree. Uh, one of its biggest concerns, too, not only will be having to deal with the issue that baseball is not really a TV sport, it'll be having to deal with other competitors on the TV field, whether it be the NBA or the NFL, which will be ongoing the entirety of the baseball season in its continuation they're going to have to deal with the stars and the fact that people love watching those two sports on television. And one of the newest faces you'll be able to continue watching will be Cam Newton, who is taking his talents out of Carolina to Gillette Stadium in beautiful Foxborough, Massachusetts. That's right. Cam Newton, former MVP, is now a New England Patriot striking a deal, for, striking a one-year deal with the Pats to stay on and join Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer in the QB room. 
Now, we came along earlier and told you about our LAFC stats. Neither of us had the Patriots pegged as the AFC East champion. For me, this doesn't really sway the move. I actually still put them as the number two team in the division and helps them a little further their distance between the Jets. But Frank, for you, does this push them ahead of the Bills? Does this push them any further ahead of the Jets at all? So I think the division itself is, I don't want to say wide open, but I did predict like you that the Bills would win the division and probably finish uh, somewhere around 10 and 6 like they did last season. I like the Bills. I don't love the Bills. I'm not entirely confident um, in picking them as a division winner. But I did so just surely out of the fact that uh, the Patriots, Jets, and Dolphins really weren't that inspiring. And I still think that's the case. I still think that this is definitely the Bills' division to lose. And I originally thought that the Patriots would finish either second or third, but I thought that there was a decent chance that Jets would finish maybe a game or two ahead of them. And while I do think Cam Newton is obviously a a pretty substantial upgrade over either Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer, just looking at this Patriots roster, and it's risky to bet against Bill Belichick in in any sense of the imagination, but looking at this Patriots roster, I mean, I still think you have to acknowledge who Cam Newton is throwing the ball to, and it's still a very uninspiring group of receivers. Um, and playmakers on the offense that really held the Patriots back last season. And when you combine that with the losses that they experienced on defense in free agency, and they didn't really have that great of a draft. So I don't think this really moves the needle all that much. At the very least, maybe it's good enough to bring them to being a 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7 and seven team. Um, but I still think somewhere between 7-9 and nine and 9-7 nine and seven is probably where they're going to fall. And I don't think that'll be enough to be anything better than second in the division. And I don't think it's going to be good enough for them to get in the playoffs. A little bit controversial, especially with that Belichick. Now, let me ask you, their moves have been, their odds have also shifted a little bit. They changed from 25 and one to make the playoffs to 20 and one to make the playoffs. You just said that you wouldn't really make them a bet, but is 20 and one a solid plus 400 odds shining you to maybe they reach into that wild card spot now that there are seven, now that there are three of them? I mean, it's not a bad number, um, and if you are betting on that, if you were to be betting on that number, again, it's the Belichick factor um, combined with now Cam Newton. I mean, if you're a believer in Cam Newton and his ability to to put forth a bounce-back season uh, with the Patriots, then yeah, plus 400 is obviously a pretty, a pretty solid number to invest in, but still, um, you can do so, but I wouldn't be overly confident in that scenario playing out and even if the patriots were to finish at nine and seven like i mentioned i don't see them i think that's their ceiling i think given the lack of talent they have at key positions on the roster i mean the quarterback and coach can only get you so far and even if they were to finish with nine wins the afc is pretty talented i mean we've talked about it before in past episodes there's a lot of teams that are jumbled together that will probably be vying for the multiple wildcard spots this year. So the Patriots would need a lot to go in their favor. And on the surface, plus 400 is not a bad number, but I'm I'm not jumping for joy to uh, to place money on them. And it's going to be hard, especially with them getting the Super Bowl. But when you're looking elsewhere in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens are a team that's very heavily tipped to go to this year's Super Bowl and even win it, just like Marquise Hollywood Brown just won the Ravens their Super Bowl title preemptively in the Checkdown Super Bowl tournament in a fantastic 64 to 42 fashion over Chris Godwin. While not the biggest news, we do have to respect the utmost talent that Marquise Brown has on the sticks. With Snoop Dogg and Troy Aikman narrating the entirety of the game, Marquise Brown laid the wood down on Chris Godwin. His defense has a little bit need to be inspired, but man, he scored with Justice Hill. He scored with uh, with himself. He scored with Boykin. He scored with absolutely everyone in the field, finishing off his 60-burger, putting himself right in this quarterback position in the Wildcat and scoring six by himself. It was a phenomenal performance and, you know, makes you want to play Madden just a little bit more. Did you get a chance to watch uh, Marquise on the sticks? I didn't specifically watch his uh, matchup against Chris Godwin, but I have seen some of his gameplay in the past. Um, he's pretty active on Twitch, actually. And sometimes the Ravens will 
will actually like sponsor his Twitch games and they'll actually put it up on their website and stuff, um, which is pretty cool, I guess. And yeah, I mean, he's pretty good at Madden, like not even just for being an NFL player, like compared to to people who play Madden for a living on YouTube, like he holds his own when he goes up against those guys. And he runs kind of like you mentioned the Wildcat formation. Um, he kind of runs that from what I've seen, he runs that all the time where he'll put himself at quarterback um, and he'll do some pretty cool formations that are, are actually pretty complex. And I think, you know, maybe it speaks to uh, to his high football IQ, but hopefully his uh, victory on the sticks and his success virtually will propel him to a uh, to a breakout season in real life in 2020. Hopefully will end with that extra Mojo coming with him's victory for the Super Bowl in Madden 20 might bring over good luck to Madden 21 and the Ravens are going to need it with Lamar Jackson being named Madden 21's cover athlete. And with all props to Lamar, Ravens fans have to be a little worried with the little known Madden curse on his tail. We're going to be spending this episode talking to you about the Madden curse and the possibilities and how it could affect Lamar with the positive sides and the negative sides of the publicity that comes with being on cover of sports most popular football game. You know, it's my understanding that 2005, one of our personal favorite players, uh, Mr. Ray Lewis, he was also hit by the Madden curse. Yes, he was. And after spending the entirety of the 2004 season as a first team all pro and named probably if the NFL still had their top 100, would have been named one of the top two or three players in the NFL, spent almost the entirety of the 2005 season on IR, cut short by a groin injury where he was hurt in week one, came back in week six and got immediately hurt in that game, got placed on season-ending IR in week eight, having amassed only a single sack, two pass deflections, and a, a lonely 36 tackles, eight Big, big blemish on his illustrious career. And we're probably the most notable version of the Madden curse because up until then, no defensive player had graced the cover of the game. But this was his first year. And look at that. Three injuries in one season for one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest linebackers of all time who rarely missed a game until he got into his upper 30s. So it's very impressive to see that it, it's very sad to see that such a thing could happen to such great players. And, you know, this being the only other Ravens cover athlete, you know, could not, could spell bad news for Lamar. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely right. And, uh, you know, it's definitely a tough scene uh, when Ray Lewis suffered those injuries. Uh, maybe he needed a little bit of that deer antler spray that he used to uh, remarkably recover from a torn biceps injury uh, during the Ravens Super Bowl run where uh, he suffered the injury in mid season. He took a little bit of deer antler spray, and uh, he came back in time for the playoffs. Unfortunately, that did not happen in 2005, as we saw. But uh, moving along here, towards the end of the decade, we saw another case of the Madden curse um, with none other than Mr. Brett Favre, who donned the cover of Madden 09. And the year before he was named the cover athlete, it's clear to see why he was deserving of such an honor. He uh, threw 28 touchdowns, over 4,000 passing yards. He was named second-team All-Pro and named to the Pro Bowl. The Packers that year went 13-3, and and although they did lose to the Giants in the conference championship, it was Brett Favre's last season with the Packers, and statistically, there's no arguing that he deserved to be on the cover. But after this season, uh, he got hit with the curse pretty bad. He signed on with the Jets which I was a little bit surprising at the time, and it was a little bit random to everyone. And his numbers declined, case in point. His touchdowns dropped by 6 to 22, and his interceptions rose from 15 to 22. So he had a dead-even touchdown-interception ratio. His passing yardage dropped by almost 1,000. And the Jets that year went 9-7, and seven, and he did not have nearly the same success as he did with the Packers the year before. Now, Rotom, the interesting thing about Brett Favre is that, yes, the curse impacted him directly after he was on the cover. That's clear based on the case I just laid out. But the following year, he signed on with the Minnesota Vikings, and he had a pretty successful campaign, 33 touchdowns to seven interceptions. So what do you think this means? You know, what does it say about the curse? What do you think this says about the Madden curse's ability to maybe linger and affect the player you know, for more than one year, you know, what's the case there? 
I mean, you see in that comeback with him and the Vikings is that, I mean, maybe maybe it will leave you alone for a little bit, but at the end, you know, the Father Time and the Madden Curse combination will get you. I mean, you look at a few more years into that Viking career, was not too pretty after that first beautiful season that he actually had leading the purple over his former green and gold. But, I mean, yeah, the, the Jets the Jets season was a bad one coming off that fake retirement that he had early on to the Packers and then following that up with another retirement in which he led to the Vikings. Not many not many things have the power to put a Hall of Fame player, multiple MVP, Super Bowl winner out of his career and Madden did it to him twice. So, you know, maybe it could linger, but it, it's definitely in the back of a lot of players' brains. And, uh, you know, sometimes that, that pressure really could build up and keep you out of the limelight and really hold you back, especially when you know all eyes are on you. You're on the cover of the on the biggest stage outside of the actual playing field. And I mean that is what Madden represents. And it's something that is the reason why it traditionally goes to one of the best players last year. So Madden has the hope that they will continue that that uh that trend of that upward trajectory. And that um is true for most players. But the only Madden cover who ever grace a non pro bowler is a, a little lone guy, the 227th pick from the 2008 draft. We're talking about a fullback, the only fullback to ever grace the cover of Madden. Yeah, we're talking about uh, Peyton Hillis. And if you don't know who Peyton Hillis is, you probably have good reason to. I mean, the only reason I remember his name is just because it was absurd that he was on the cover. And we're, of course, talking about Madden 12. Personally, one of my favorite Maddens, the fact that he graced the cover wasn't that great. But in 2010, it was easy to see why Peyton Hillis was so gushed over, including why he beat guys like Matt Ryan, Ray Rice, Aaron Rodgers, and Michael Vick in the cover vote to be on the cover of Madden 20, of the cover of Madden 12. And after playing 11 uh, after playing 16 games, nabbing 11 touchdowns, 1,172 yards on the ground, as long with, along with two touchdowns and almost 500 yards through the air. You understand why this was a guy that was looking like he was about to hit a bunch of Pro Bowls, be maybe the greatest fullback of all time, but the Madden curse hits hard. And, uh, you know, when you're talking hard, you mean hard. He played 10 games the next season and managed to grab three touchdowns, a drop of 10, grabbing 717 net yards, a loss of almost 900 from the year before. He missed out, played a phenomenal first two weeks, but managed to miss out week three with strep throat an injury that i've never seen an injury report in the last three or four years and not only that he missed weeks five and seven with two separate hamstring injuries in both of his legs finishing off the season not even being resigned by the browns the browns didn't resign this guy it doesn't matter how great he was the year before he was bad enough and torn asunder by the pressure that came along with Baden and the curse that he managed to barely make it onto a Kansas City practice squad that ended his career for the NFL. And nowadays, you may ask, where is Peyton Hillis? Just living in L.A. Doesn't really do much. Just has nothing left. In an interview with Bleacher Report, he even said he just got tired of it. He just didn't know what to do anymore. He was known as the guy that was on the cover of Madden. So truly, you can see that it doesn't just linger. It can end your career, whether it forces you to retire like Brett Favre or, quite simply, takes all of your sports out of you. Frank, Peyton Hillis, the ultimate curse, perhaps? I mean, if he's not number one, I mean, he's definitely number two or three. I mean, when you think of the Madden curse, Peyton Hillis' name is one of the first that comes to mind, and it's easy to see why, based on everything you just said. I mean, the fact that he was on the cover in the first place, uh, extremely random and just... And just very out of the blue. I know he definitely had a successful season in 2010, but it's clear that the curse derailed him. I mean, the year after that, and in the three years left of his career, or what was his career, just downhill. I mean, he had nothing going for him after that year. And frankly, he didn't have much going for him before that year. It's it's very much a head-scratcher that he was able to put up the numbers that he did but it definitely proved to be, you know, a flash in the pan and definitely a one-hit wonder. Uh, Rotom, you know, one player who hasn't been a one-hit wonder throughout his career and uh, a player who resurfaced in the headlines just a few months ago after it was announced that he was traded to the Buccaneers and was coming out of retirement to join his teammate Tom Brady, and that is Mr. Rob Gronkowski. And Gronk had the honor of donning the cover of Madden in 2017 and the season that got him on 
the cover of Madden. He had 11 touchdowns, 72 receptions, 1,176 receiving yards, and he averaged almost 80 receiving yards per game, which is insane production from a tight end. And it was good enough to earn him a spot on the Pro Bowl roster and first-team All-Pro. And in the NFL 100 ranking, he was ranked ninth, which, again, for a tight end, is pretty unprecedented. Gronk was one of the few tight ends ever who's been able to put up this sort of production. Unfortunately, he, too, was struck by the curse in a big way. In the year after this insanely productive season, he managed to play only eight games. He missed the first two games of the season due to a hamstring injury, and then he was placed on injured reserve in Week 12 with a herniated disc. And his statistical production for the season overall was uh, pretty pedestrian, only 25 receptions and 540 receiving yards. Definitely a far cry from what we saw the year before. And um, and although the Patriots did win the Super Bowl in the following season by a score of 38-34 to 34 in Super Bowl LI, because Gronk was on injured reserve, he was not there to be a part of it. Instead, donning street clothes on the sideline. Rotom, do you blame the curse for Gronk's fall from grace uh, between 2017 to 2018? I mean, I think it's the same kind of situation with Mr. Hillis. It's uh, a lot of the spotlight and a lot more noticing of you. You know, some of these players have a natural drop in performance because they're a little, you know, they're a little less out of the spotlight the prior year. And now that they're on the cover of Madden, they're probably doing commercials. People are seeing them on TV a lot more. They can be a little bit of a target. You you could see that. Um, you know, uh, uh, the fact is Gronkowski missed the first few games due to a preseason injury that he had in the hamstring. But his injury by week 12, he was getting battered week in and week out for the Patriots. And, you know, they might not have had a lot of weapons to throw to at that time, but Gronk was still getting the butt of all of their blocks and all of their big hits. So maybe that's a possibility, but truly here, you know, the curse is still possibly involved because an injury will do that to your season. And that might have been one of the last great Gronkowski seasons. Maybe we'll see another one this year, but. 2018 was the year he retired. So, you know, not not a big distance between this injury and the one that ends his career. Yeah, and it's interesting when you compare the cases of Brett Favre and then Gronk, because as I mentioned with Brett Favre, the curse struck him in the year following his cover athlete appearance. And then he was able to bounce back the following year, two years removed from the cover athlete appearance with a successful season. And Gronk, did pretty much that in 2017. I mean, he had over a thousand receiving yards and eight touchdowns and 69 receptions. But like you just mentioned, I mean, he was never really the same after he was never really the same after appearing on the cover. And yes, maybe he'll be able to bounce back with a Renaissance type season with Tampa Bay in 2020. But uh, it's hard not to see the correlation between him appearing on the cover of Madden 17 and a gradual decline in his career. Now, uh, Rotom, you know, we've talked about these players who have been struck by the curse, but like we mentioned at the outset of this episode, there's also been several players who have proven that, you know, maybe the curse is beatable. And uh, starting closer towards the beginning of this past decade, who who are some players that uh, that stand out to you? Well, I think one of my favorite matches, my personal favorite Madden, aside from 12, uh, has to be the year right after that, and that's 13 with Megatron on the cover. And there's not a lot of MVPs that I am incredibly contentious about. And there's two of them. And it is J.J. Watt not winning. Garen Rodgers, he did not deserve it. That's my hot take for life. Will not forgive him for that. And the other one is 2012, in which for the first time in a long time, Adrian Peterson managed to grab a running back MVP for his 2,000-yard season, the third greatest of all time at the running backs. But I dare say that that was not the best player in the NFL. And that's because... Madden cover athlete Calvin Johnson, who followed up his 16 touchdown, 96 reception, 1,681 yard season in which he went to the Pro Bowl, was a first team all a pro, was the receiving yards leader, leading the Lions, the Detroit Lions, the second worst franchise in sports history to a wild card loss in the playoffs. A wide receiver just doesn't have that much talent. And sometimes it seems like, man, what more can he do? Well, you wait for the next year, and you see he plays that same 16 games. 
only has five touchdowns, possibly due to a few Matt Stafford injuries and the general terribleness of the rest of that Lions team. But he nabs 122 receptions, then an NFL record, 1,964 yards. Calvin Johnson was 36 yards away from 2,000 yards reception in 2013. And he didn't get a single goddamn MVP vote. He had the most receiving yards and the most receptions that season, was a pro bowler, first team all pro, and didn't get a single vote because the Lions went 4-12. and Now, obviously, team performance has a lot to do with it, and Adrian Peterson having such a great season. But man, Peyton Manning got some. J.J. Watt got a vote. Tom Brady got a vote, but this man, Calvin Johnson, got 1,964. So it's great news for Calvin, who broke the curse, had a fantastic follow-up season. But maybe the curse just went around to his team because a lot of injuries fell upon the Lions and really broke down his chances to capitalize on possibly the greatest season of a wide receiver ever that's not named Jerry Rice. So, um, you know, I threw a few hot takes out in there. Uh, what do you think about Megatron and Madden 13? Well, no, you know, you know, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily hot takes at all. I mean, you know, I love Calvin Johnson and there's a reason they call him Megatron. I mean, he's one of the most talented receivers in NFL history. And I think it's criminal that while he did get on the cover, hold on, let me rephrase it. While he did go on the cover of Madden 2013, which is great. And that's a cool honor for him. Uh, I think it's criminal that he did not receive an MVP vote. I mean, especially when you look at, today's NFL when you see receivers getting some MVP consideration uh, pretty consistently like Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I can't imagine that if Calvin Johnson was playing today that he wouldn't be putting up, you know, similar numbers if he was still in his prime. And I want to say he retired around what, 30 years old. So, I mean, his career was kind of cut short a little bit. Um, But if the Madden curse is to blame for the Lions lack of success in the next year, then uh, maybe the Madden curse is to blame for the Lions being awful for, uh, hold on, let me check my notes. Uh, Oh, forever, because they've been pretty much awful since the dawn of time. Uh, I actually can check my notes. Uh, They've been awful before the dawn of time. Mm, A little BC? Uh, You know, BCE. Well, they have it. The Lions are terrible, and Calvin Johnson is great. Now, Calvin Johnson was able to beat the Kate. Calvin Johnson was able to beat the curse in 2013. Looking ahead to 2015, you had not a receiver, but a cornerback on the cover, and that is none other than Richard Sherman. Uh, Sherman was great. This was in the prime of Sherman's career during the Seahawks Legion of Boom days, and the year that got him on the cover, he had eight interceptions, a touchdown, 48 tackles, uh, first-team All-Pro, made the Pro Bowl. But I think a lot of what a lot of what went into him being on the cover was his iconic postseason run with that Seahawks team. I mean, he finished the NFC playoffs, making the immaculate deflection in the end zone, matched up against his arch nemesis at the time, Michael Crabtree, and he obviously had the infamous post-game interview with Aaron Andrews in which he said a little bit of a profane things about Michael Crabtree that I won't repeat here on this podcast. But the Seahawks won Super Bowl. The Seahawks won the Super Bowl that season and Richard Sherman was obviously an instrumental part in that he allowed only six yards to come his way playing the left side of the football field. Now with such a successful season like that, it would be easy for him to drop off a little bit the year following, like we've seen with so many other Madden cover athletes, but that was not the case. Uh, The following year, his interceptions were cut in half, but he still had four interceptions for the year which is a pretty solid number. He also was able to force a fumble. Again, he made first-team All-Pro and the Pro Bowl. And on top of that, he was named NFC Defensive Player of the Year. And he helped the Seahawks get back to the Super Bowl once again. And although they did lose, it's still pretty impressive that Sherman was able to follow up such a great season with another successful campaign. Unfortunately, the day following their Super Bowl loss, Sherman underwent Tommy John surgery to repair an injured elbow. Uh, Maybe he was playing with that injury throughout the season. If so, that's even more impressive. But, uh, you know, Rodan, what are your thoughts on Richard Sherman and his ability to beat the Madden curse? I mean, it's a great one. I mean, when you're talking about cornerbacks, it's easy to make a cornerback look bad between years to years, especially after they have such a great season like Sherman did in 2013. But 
you know, the fact is he still put up great numbers while most of his targeted numbers and his passes thrown at numbers were decreased almost by a third. You say that his interceptions dropped in half, but his his interceptions per pass thrown at him rate jumped up from 12%, which is an incredible number in 2013, up to a staggering 22%. He had four interceptions. You know what that means? He got thrown at 25 26 times in the course of the 2014 NFL season. If that isn't mind-blowing and telling you the intense pressure that Richard Sherman caused off the left side of the field, it's insane. If there is any player who legitimately could not be washed up and just has that fight and that grit and that really hard-winning attitude that deserves to be on the Madden cover, it is Richard Sherman. And always a good move by him to bring along his teammates. I mean, that that wasn't, you know, he likes to say that that was not him on the cover. It was Legion of Boom. And him, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and, and Brandon Brown are all featured on the cover of the athlete when as soon as you open the game, you would see all of them. And that that's a great move by a guy like Richard Sherman. You know, he, he won all those awards. He got all that acclaim as the best cornerback in the league. And he still brought along and knew that without his teammates, he was nothing. And that that's that's a real humble move for that kind of guy. Good to see that he was able to beat the curse. And, uh, you know, even today in 2020, he's still uh, playing at a high level for the 49ers. Uh, another player who's knows another player is no stranger to good moves, uh, dance moves, that is, is Odell Beckham Jr., who was on the cover the next year, uh, wrote him, you know, I'm curious, can you enlighten me? Uh, was OBJ affected by the Madden curse? Uh, you know, surprisingly enough, he was not. That's why he's in this section of the podcast. But many people will not forget Odell's rookie season uh, in which his in which his 12 touchdowns, 91 receptions, 1,305 yards, incredible 108.8 yards per game as a freshman coming off the 12th overall pick. Uh, it, it's absolutely staggering. He missed the preseason and the first four games to a, to a hard injury he had suffered during the second game of the preseason and still managed to make it as an alternate for the Pro Bowl. He was the NFC's Offensive Rookie of the Year. Not only that, there's there's one moment, much like Richard Sherman, to remember his Madden cover season and the, the one he which deserves it for. Much like the Immaculate Defection, the catch. If you're thinking about Adele, there's nothing in his career that can overshadow the, that incredible three-finger catch he made to win the game for the Giants over the Cowboys. It was incredible. It was on Sunday night. The whole world saw it, and the whole world knew that they had a superstar on their hands. And that is why the next year, for Madden 16, he became the youngest player ever on a Madden cover, only to be beaten by Lamar Jackson. Uh, and he followed it up with just as much of a talented superstar kind of season, playing 15 games that season, 13 touchdowns, 96 receptions, 1,450 yards, topping off all of his numbers from the prior season. He only missed one week due to a little bit of a kerfuffle that he had with Josh Norman. And, you know, that was only telling of the rest of his Giants career of missing games because of dumb stuff that was going on on the sideline. But nonetheless, he was still a pro bowler and in his sophomore season managed to grab 10th as a wide receiver in the NFL top 100. An incredible increase for a guy who loves having flashy plays and really is the model NFL Madden cover because he really is that highlight guy. He loved being in the spotlight and he just grew and blew up as a figurehead of the league. So much thanks to Madden. Like if he was not on that cover, Madden cover where he had the catch on the front, I think a few things go differently for Odell. And he would not be, he would not have been as disrespected by so many quarterbacks throughout that season that try to get under his skin. Because they know when you get a young guy at the age of 22 that's this much going up for him, you want to get under him. And not many people could do it like Josh Norman, but Josh Norman did to him. So, yeah, that that's really the one game. So, if anything, the Madden curse is just Josh Norman to him. Yeah, I mean, I think the Madden curse is just, uh, it's just Josh Norman in disguise, maybe. But, uh, I think that the combination of the infamous catch he made that you talked about and then him being on the Madden cover, that really elevated his celebrity. And I mean, Odell is maybe the biggest celebrity-like figure in all of football. And, you know, it's no surprise that on the actual cover, he was seen making a one-handed catch because, of course, I mean, that's only fitting. Uh, another player who's no stranger to making impressive catches in his own right is Antonio Brown. And Antonio Brown is on the cover of Madden 19, so we're getting a little bit more recent here. Um, to me, Antonio Brown is maybe the most interesting case 
of the Madden curse or the lack thereof, because depending on how you look at it, you can make the argument for either way. Um, I think you and I both tend to lean on, both tend to lean towards Antonio Brown, not an instance of the Madden curse. And here's the case for that. I mean, the year leading up to his appearance on the cover, he had one of his best, one of the best seasons of his career. He was named first team all pro made the AFC Pro Bowl team. He led the NFL in receiving yards with just over 1,500 yards. He had over 100 receptions, and he caught nine touchdowns. And he did all of this while missing two games on the season. So in only 14 games, he put up insane production. And not only that, team success was also a factor as the Steelers managed to go 13-3 and and win the AFC North. And in the year directly following that, Brown had another successful season. His yardage dropped a little bit, but his touchdowns increased from 9 to 15, and his receptions actually went up by 3 as well. He was again named to the Pro Bowl team, and he led the NFL in receiving touchdowns because, of course, 15 touchdowns, 15 touchdown receptions is probably going to lead the league uh, no matter what season you're in. Now, the interesting thing about A.B.'s Madden, the case for A.B. being affected by the Madden curse is that Yes, statistically, he was not affected in the year right after appearing on the cover. But if you look at what's happened since that year, it's been nothing but downhill. I mean, A.B. signed with the Raiders in free agency, and then the whole fiasco with him not wanting to play because he didn't have the right helmet, and then he ended up not playing a game for the Raiders before the season even started. Then he signed with the Patriots and played one game against the Dolphins, And then the Patriots released him. And since then, you know, obviously he struggled with some off the field issues, uh, some issues related to legal matters. Um, Rotom, do you think any of that has to do with his appearance on the cover of Madden? Or is it just kind of a non sequitur? Uh, Actually, I think it it has a little bit to do with it. I mean, one of the things you noticed was how many games he played. A solid 15. The one game he missed, one of the most bizarre reasons. I don't know if you remember, but at the end of 2018, he decided to not come to practice because of a tense argument he got into with Roethlisberger the week before. Um, And after that, by the end of the week, the Steelers were in the playoffs and he requested to be traded right during the playoffs. Um, Eventually getting sent to the Raiders, like you mentioned. And his first time on a football field before that was him developing frostbite on his feet. Ironically enough, though, Madden runs on the EA's frostbite engine, so maybe there's a little bit of a play there. But, But, you know, I think that maybe that last game is just him realizing, man, I am the star of this league. I don't like Ben Roethlisberger. I can get out of here. And maybe that's what's what's getting in his head. So while statistically, you're right, you know, not a curse, but maybe maybe it's that mental factor that gets him week 17 that tells him, I shouldn't play. I'm not going to practice. I'm the Madden cover athlete. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. It's uh, it's definitely hard to pinpoint exactly what, what's gone. It's definitely hard to pinpoint what factors have contributed to the, frankly, downward spiral of AB's career. But, I mean, yeah, even though it's two years removed, maybe the Madden cover appearance had something to do with it. And, you know, you hate to see that he got frostbite, but, uh, you know, that comes with the territory when all you want to do is let those puppies breathe. Uh, looking ahead to the next year, you know, what do we have with uh, Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, last year's cover athlete, currently the reigning Madden cover athlete, it's got to be Patrick Mahomes. And there's not, you know, much we have to say about this guy. 16 games, 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, and 5,100 yards, and a 66% completion to go along with his MVP, Pro Bowl, first team All Pro, and a Chiefs solid 12 and 4 run. Easily one of the most exciting and most riveting players on the NFL last year, and there was no question about him being on the the NFL's cover athlete. Uh, much like how this year it was kind of going to be Lamar, no doubt. And um, you know, you you got to think when you're in that kind of line, when you are just the presumptive nominee for the cover, that maybe it comes with a bad territory. And with Mahomes, the curse did rear its ugly head uh, very early on in the season. He. Um, uh, looked like he was out with a pretty bad knee surgery. It was questionable whether the Chiefs would even make the playoffs without him. But look at that. Mahomes and his superpowers came back, and he only ended up missing two games for the injury, uh, putting up about half of his performance in touchdowns last year, only a solid 26, um, along with 4,031 yards and the exact same completion percentage. But this time, 
He led them to eight straight wins after returning from playoff injury, from turning the injury through the playoffs, including 10 touchdowns, two interceptions, 901 yards in the playoffs, finishing it all with a Chiefs ring on his finger and a Super Bowl MVP on his trophy shelf. So, you know, last year, if any, truly proves that a single season difference is really all about that mental game and him being able to turn that injury into a two gamer really changed that season and is the reason he has a ring on his finger today. And we're hoping, obviously, that that story rings true for Lamar, but uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But Mahomes really has not a shroud of evidence of the Madden curse. In fact, he took the Madden curse and threw it away. He, he saw it, He looked it dead in the eyes and said, nah, my injury, two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember vividly that when he suffered that injury, uh, I want to say it was on a night game, so it was nationally televised. And just scrolling through social media, everyone... Their first reaction was, oh, it's the Madden curse in action. I mean, this is the Madden curse, Madden curse this, Madden curse that. And it definitely looked like a pretty serious injury. But like you said, I mean, he stared down the Madden curse, and it takes a lot of courage to do just that. And uh, he slayed that dragon. And hopefully Lamar Jackson can do the same in 2021, Uh, which I guess, you know, the question begs, is he going to do the same? That is a big question. You know, uh, we've already seen what he did last year, uh, posting a phenomenal 3,127 yards in the air, 1,200 yards on the ground, along with 36 passing touchdowns and seven rushing touchdowns, netting him a solid 43. So we're going to take a look at his player props and see, you know, where does he change? So over under, well, starting with the touchdowns, we already mentioned he had 36 last season. His over under is only a 26 and a half, both the over and the under sitting at minus 115. We've seen a few quarterbacks drop in their touchdown performances through the Madden curse. Most notably, uh, it's going to be Brett Favre, who dropped from 28 to 22, uh, along with Patrick Mahomes last year, who dropped from 50 to 26. But how do you think the touchdown totals will be in fact in involved for Mr. Action Jackson. Yeah, well, I think that 26 and a half is is definitely a signal that Vegas is expecting a uh, regression to the mean. And I think there is going to be some of that because, frankly, uh, I think that Lamar's touchdown rate from last year is is not entirely sustainable. And the majority of his touchdowns came in the red zone, which, uh, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's just a question of, you know, how how sustainable is what he did last year. And I think that there's reason to believe his touchdowns are going to drop at least a little bit, but perceiving a drop in 10 total touchdown passes, I think is frankly a little bit disrespectful. I can see him easily finishing somewhere between 28 to 32 touchdown passes maybe. And while that would be a decline from last year, he can still have a more successful season overall while throwing slightly less touchdowns. I mean, that would just be an indicator that his game is becoming more well-rounded. Um, and because both of the odds numbers here are at minus 115, I mean, I would definitely take the over on 26 and a half. I, I don't see a scenario in which he finishes with 25. I don't see a scenario in which he finishes with 26 touchdowns or less. I definitely think it's going to be over. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Madden curse might be a big factor here, but that, this is a huge disservice to the rest of the Ravens around him. Uh, Marquise Brown, who we already mentioned today, is only on his second year and could show huge development as number one wide receiver. Willie Sneed and Miles Boykin are both phenomenal, very young wide receivers that could even furtherly step it up or at the very least stay uh, just as consistent as they were last season to bring in four and five touchdowns, uh, respectively. Um, and that is not even mentioning the backfield. You know, the Ravens play with a lot of running backs and a lot of players in the backfield. And J.K. Dobbins is our newest addition. That is most notably Ohio State's biggest pass catching back in a long, long time. So I think with all the players around him, we're even going to see a huge upgrade in his touchdowns. And I'm, I'm right there with you. 26 and a half is a huge yes for me on the over. Um, but one that I think I'm personally a little more questioning is going to be his yards. His current yards number stands at well, 3,199.5, essentially 3,200. And that number comes directly from his 3,127 yard from last year. So actually, Vegas is expecting him to step up his numbers. For the odds here, the over is at minus 125 and the under is at minus 105. Which way are you leaning here? Well, if you're just going based off the 
odds because it's minus 105. I mean, the under is a little bit more of an attractive option. But again, I mean, I'm expecting Lamar to improve as a downfield thrower of the football. And I think that that's going to that's gonna predicate him hitting the over here on his passing yardage total. And I think what's important to note is that last season he threw for 3,127 yards, but he did so while missing one game and sitting out the fourth quarters in, I want to say, four or five other games because the Ravens were just blowing everyone out and they could put RG3 in at the beginning of multiple fourth quarters. So basically, when you add together the total snaps that he missed, he essentially missed two, almost two and a half total games worth of action. And had he suited up in a full 16-game season, he definitely would have hit the over. He definitely would have hit on this year's projected over of just around 3,200 yards. And I'm not expecting him to miss any games next season, especially not due to uh, the fact, especially not due to the Ravens blowing teams out consistently as they were last year. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen again. So because of that, combined with a projected improvement from him as an actual passer, along with, you know, like you mentioned, the weapons that the Ravens have are young and they're supposed to improve this year. Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Miles Boykin. If those guys can take a step forward, that's only going to help Lamar's passing yardage total as well. So for those reasons, I'm going to take the over here. Um, what about you? I'm 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 more hesitant about this one than the last one. I think the over on the touchdown is a lot stronger than the over here on the yards. But I do agree with you. I think that I, we're going to get to it on the next point with his rushing yards. But I think the fact that is. I think the fact is that the Ravens are probably going to need to pass the ball a little bit more than they did last season, just because teams are probably going to be putting a lot more players in the box from the get-go playing the Ravens. And I think John Harbaugh is going to know that. I think we're expecting a lot of more first quarter passing attempts in order to kind of dismay that. So in the fourth quarter, we kind of can get back into a run heavy offense, but uh, I'm expecting Lamar to throw the ball a, a solid amount. And like you said, you know, his accuracy was not phenomenal to any degree last year. So I think if he can get that up, I, I could see him at even the 3,000 upper range. I don't see him quite as a 4,000-yard passer. I, I'm having a hard time seeing him over a 3,800-yard passer, but the over here at minus 125 is probably still the right way to go, even with the worst odds. But, you know, I did just mention it. His rushing yards sit at 919, a 300-yard drop from his 1,200 this season, a record for quarterbacks. Over is minus 110, under is minus 120. So actually it looks like Vegas is favoring him to go under, kind of following what I just said, where he's probably going to be running the ball a little bit less. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I'm kind of in line with Vegas here. And it's important to note that Lamar rushed for 1,200 rushing yards last year, and he led the NFL in yards per carry. I mean, you and I are both Ravens fans, but I don't think either of us could have foresaw him putting up those kind of numbers as a runner of the football. And the plays that he's able to make once he's out of the pocket, are just mind-boggling. You know, his ability to literally shake any defender and quite frankly break the ankles of any defender in his path is pretty unprecedented. And it's remarkable to watch. But it's important to note that Lamar himself is on record saying that he doesn't expect, nor does he want to run the football as much as he did last year. And it's hard not to see that coming to fruition. I mean, he had 170 rushing attempts last year, and the Ravens really relied on him to churn out plays on the ground. And a lot of that was design runs. Some of that was him just improvising, making plays on his own. But the smart thing for the Ravens to do to preserve Lamar's longevity and health would be to run him less and have him throw the ball more. And I think that's going to happen. Um, I still think that there's, I mean, like I just mentioned, because of how talented he is, I still think that there's a chance that he could again hit the over on this number. But the Ravens added J.K. Dobbins in the draft, and they now have a healthy stable of four running backs who will all be vying for touches. And for that reason, I don't think that Lamar needs to run the ball as much as he did last year. So uh, I would lean towards the under in this scenario. I, you know, I, I, this might be a little bit more of me being still hopeful about Lamar, but you know, 300 yards is a big drop and even losing 
30 to 40, like we're projecting rushing attempts off his 176 last season. He's still getting about 100, he's still getting 140, 130 attempts. The Ravens offense isn't going to change all that much. And seeing that in his freshman year in seven games, he rushed for 140 attempts, getting 700 yards. I can see him now in his third year still being able to put up that big of numbers. I don't think there's any defense you can really put out on the field to stop the way he gets those big yardage plays. And that's all Lamar needs. I mean, one or two big gainers, big 30 to plus yard gains per game to just get to that number because Lamar Jackson is, like I said, going to run for still a solid amount. And no matter what the playbook calls for, I still think he has the talent and the ability to make what he has work. And for that reason, you know, with the better odds and the better lookout, I think I'm still going to go on the over minus 110. So I, I, it looks like I'm going over on all three of these. Yeah, I mean, I think that the rushing yards, the number itself the, at 919 is like right. It's a tricky number because, you know, you just made a good case that he could definitely go over. But for all the reasons I mentioned, I think that there's a case that he can go under as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up hitting the over. And frankly, you know, I'd be happy to see him rush for that many yards again. I think it would be, uh, frankly, unprecedented. But, uh, you know, this leads to a separate conversation, um, which is that a lot of people perceive his rushing attempts are going to inevitably lead to some sort of injury. And frankly, I think that maybe this criticism is a little bit unfair, but I think it ties back to the Madden curse conversation. I mean, based on the numbers that we just predicted, neither of us really foresee the curse affecting Lamar uh, based on statistical production or team success. But, you know, do you think it's fair to predict that maybe he's going to suffer an injury just based on the sheer amount of rushing attempts that he sees from the quarterback spot? Because he's played almost two full seasons of football now in the NFL, and he's yet to suffer any sort of injury that's forced him to miss time. So, I mean, where do you stand on that? I mean, I think that that's, that's an incredibly valid point, especially when we look back at some of the more injury-prone players throughout the careers. I mean, most notably, Rob Gronkowski, who we did mention, may or may not be due to the Madden curse, just purely due to their play style and the way that they get hurt a lot. And I mean, looking back at the guys we had mentioned, already mentioned, Michael Vick and Donovan McNabb both took pretty solid injuries during their tenure as the Madden uh, cover athlete. And that, that does not bode well for Lamar Jackson, who is going to get a lot of pressure uh, with being in such a big spotlight and being the reigning MVP. So I think that's a solid point. And honestly, if if that was to be your betting odds, and that would be your edge that you want to roll on, the under on all three of these is pretty tantalizing. If you imagine that he's missing four, five games of the season, and even more, he's not going to hit 3,200 yards without a solid 14 games playing. Like you mentioned, even if he gets a few four quarters off, like that might put him around under that number. So, you know, that, that that's a very valid point, and it could entirely happen. But Barring him not playing a full 16-game season, I, I don't really see a way that any of these turn out on the under. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Vic and McNabb, who, especially Vic, definitely had similar playing styles to what Lamar has been in the NFL. So there's definitely precedence for running quarterbacks to get hurt in the NFL, and there's also precedence for players that appear on the cover of Madden to get hurt in the following season. Obviously, you know, I'm praying that this doesn't happen to Lamar. I'm I'm confident that it won't, but it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. And I think that if he were to suffer any sort of injury, uh, people are definitely going to point to the Madden curse as, as a glaring reason why that would happen. Yeah, and actually one more player we should note is uh, 2000 Madden 2002's uh, cover athlete Dante Culpepper, who is actually Lamar Jackson's draft uh, comparison on draft night from uh, NFL.com uh, also had like a huge part of the Madden curse. In fact, the first notion of the Madden curse by John Madden on Dante Culpepper, who caused him to, who had a terrible 2001 season in which he missed seven, which he missed 12 games uh, and threw 23 interceptions to only 18 touchdowns for the following season. So, you know, it really, it really does not bode well for other players playing that sort of position and that sort of play style. So that, um, that is definitely something to be looking forward to, and, and and a great point you bring up. But you know, looking looking past Lamar, we got to keep looking and seeing. You know, this, this is an ongoing game. 
we have to keep thinking about guys that could make it for the Madden 22 cover. And for the past two years, we've kind of seen an easy guy stand up and maybe be that guy. Mahomes was an easy decision. Lamar was an easy decision. But with 22, we've got a lot of rising stars and a lot of players that have been in the league for a while that might just find their way into that. And I think the most notable guy is if we're keeping the theme of second-year quarterbacks that have taken that jump, the one that we all love to talk about is Kyler Murray. First overall pick last year could make that sophomore jump like Mahomes and Lamar did. Uh, and I think he would probably be one of my biggest choices for that. Uh, if not him, probably if we're going the running back direction, which has been a while, is going to be Christian McCaffrey, um, who has put up phenomenal yards, is an absolute fan favorite, especially in the fantasy game where he's been leading points all the time. And that that's really how Mahomes and Lamar did it. Is they really they they were great fan darlings, and people just love seeing them play well. Is there anyone that you're saying that might be a great early favorite for the Madden 22 cover? Well, I definitely like Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think that he's going to have the statistical production, no doubt. And you know, you also mentioned Kyler Murray. I also think he's a sleeper candidate to don the cover of Madden 22 as well. I mean, you and I both think that Murray could potentially see himself in the MVP running. Um, the issue I have with with these two players is that, like we mentioned throughout this entire discussion, is that a lot of what goes in to being on the Madden cover is team success. I mean, your team, at the very least, needs to make the playoffs and, frankly, probably needs to win at least a playoff game or two. Uh, can the Panthers or Cardinals reach this feat? I mean, I don't think either of us really foresee that happening, and I think that that would need to happen even if Kyler Murray and Christian McCaffrey had incredible statistical years, if they don't have the team success, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for them to find themselves on the Madden cover. Uh, you know, branching off that discussion, one player I think who could have both team success and statistical production is Michael Thomas. And we've talked about several receivers who have been on the cover of Madden. Most recently, Antonio Brown, and then Obel Beckham, and then Calvin Johnson. So in this past decade alone, there's been three play three receivers who've been on the cover of Madden, and Michael Thomas seems like a seamless bet to be the next one. Thomas has been a production machine over the past few seasons, and the Saints have been good year in, year out. They've been one of, if not the best team in the NFC. Unfortunately, they have not been able to shake their playoff demons. But if this is the year that they can kind of break through and maybe make a Super Bowl run or maybe at least get to the NFC Championship, if they do that and Michael Thomas puts up great numbers yet again, uh, I can see a very legitimate chance that he's on the cover of Madden 22. I 100% believe it. And, you know, you mentioned team success, and I absolutely love mentioning his name and his team's name, but I got to bring him up. It's America's team and their absolute insane paid darling who has all the pressure in the world on him to now be the cover athlete of Madden next year and I'm, I gotta be talking about Rain Dakota Prescott um, easily when you're being paid that much and you're being viewed by some of the most one of the most loyal franchises one of the most loyal fan bases in NFL history I, I think there's gonna be a lot of pressure on Dak to succeed or to fail and I, I genuinely have said before I think it's gonna be a big coin flip of whether he lives up to that pressure but if he does if he takes the Cowboys as far as I truly believe that they're going to go, then there's not a question in my mind that D Dak can not only take home an MVP, but also, you know, garner himself a little Madden. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it at that because I think everyone who's listened to this podcast has heard me talk about how much I think the Cowboys are going to be great this year enough. But uh, anyone else, any other quarterbacks, especially, you know, because it is a quarterback game. Yeah, well, if Dak were to end up on the Madden 22 cover, uh, I know who would be first in line at GameStop for the midnight release, uh, and it would be you. I know for a fact that that would be you. Or at the very least, you're pre-ordering the edition. I mean, for sure, right? Uh, for sure. You know, I already pre-ordered the Lamar edition uh, because I hate myself and will pay any amount of money for EA just to see a dude on the cover of a box. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, looking at other quarterbacks who could potentially be on the cover. I mean, you love Dak Prescott. I've been on the record talking about somebody in the same division and that's Carson Wentz. And I think that, you know, narrative wise, I can definitely see a scenario in which Carson Wentz would be on the cover of Madden 22. If he's able to lead the Eagles to a division title and shake his injury woes and actually play in the playoffs for the first time and win multiple playoff games, 
if he does that and he has a great statistical season like we saw a couple seasons ago, then uh, Carson Wentz is a player who could be on the cover as well. Or maybe even someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, who I would be, it would be a little bit surprising to see Jimmy G on the cover, but he plays for a great team with the 49ers. He managed to get to the Super Bowl last year, although you know there was a perception that he was being carried by that fantastic 49ers defense and supporting cast. But if he's able to lead the 49ers back to the Super Bowl next year and up his statistical production, you know, maybe that narrative shifts towards his favor. Maybe it does. You know, it is. It really is hard to deny a guy that went to the Super Bowl back-to-back times. Um, a spot on the Madden cover. Just look at Tom Brady. He went back-to-back, and he ended up back there. And it, it's been a while since Tom Brady was even considered. But, hey, maybe he does well enough on the Buccaneers. And we see a Buccaneer cover of Tom Brady being the first player ever to grace its cover twice, aside from Barry Jones. But uh, that will be that. We will have to see how Mr. Action Jackson comes about in his Madden cover season. Hopefully no injuries and we see a whole lot of over for him in his purple future. And drops a little bit of that purple rain. But for any more sports analysis, news, and betting advice from us, you can check us out at Play It Pod on both Twitter and on Instagram, where we will very soon be able to send you our pick of the day from the NBA games that start oh so very soon. You can also find my advice from at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, where can the listeners find you? You can find me at Rodham Kaufman. Oh, sorry. I mean, you can find me at FrankJP0. A beautiful handle, both the wrong one you said and the right one. But we will have to catch you next week for more Play It As It Lies. (laughs) 